0: hello everybody and welcome to the 87th episode of mtg fast finance the podcast that makes your canadian grandma think there's insider trading in mtg finance mtg fast finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of magic the gathering finance collection management and speculation
1: a quick message from our sponsor face-to-face games FaceToFaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on magic singles and sealed product with shipping to both the US and Canada. Check out face to face card pricing via MTGPrice.com, whether building your deck or stockpiling a spec.
0: I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at critic on Twitter. My co host tonight is Travis Allen, aka at WizardBumpin', and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering.
1: Good evening, everybody. Good evening, James. Uh, our first note for the for the night here is that our normal recording platform, Zencaster, seems to have broken, uh, hopefully temporarily. So we are using a stopgap measure, so if the audio quality is not as good as it usually is, that's why. So I'm going to do my best afterwards, but we are working with uh, with a limited set of tools this, this week. Um, our show is sponsored by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby.
0: All right, what do we have on the agenda today, Travis?
1: All right, James, uh, this week we have a show in four segments. We have Segment 1, our top movers. We will look at the cards that have changed the most in price over the past week. We have Segment 2, our cards to watch, cards James and I think could increase in price. Segment 3, our metagame week in review, we're going to take a quick look at the first moto standard result that includes Ixalan. And Segment 4, our topic of the week, we're going to do a bit of a bulk Box. Uh, we got a couple odds and ends, viewer things. Something that came up on my radar recently. So nothing specific. Uh, just a couple odds and ends.
0: We'll probably go over the uh, TV appearance last week. Yeah, yeah,
1: we can talk about that too. Uh, so the first card uh, on our list of top movers this week is Living Wish from Judgment. We are looking at non-foil <clears throat> copies. Started the week around three fifty. It's now at seven. Uh, James, I'm guessing by your comment here that you thought I meant the judge printing of this card rather than the judgment copy of this card.
0: No, no, no. I, I was simply pointing out that the only printings of this card ever were um, outside of gold border. were single is the single printing in judgment plus the judge foil and that's it. Ah. Um, so that's led to a fairly low supply given that judgment was, you know, over a decade ago. And uh, this list looks like uh, despite this card being banned pretty much everywhere that it might be relevant. Um, uh, it occasionally shows up in decks and legacy, right? Uh, yeah, in some amount. I know that you could play it. I mean, you used to play it
1: in the old blue show and tell decks. They would living wish for, um, for Emmerichel or whatever outside of the game. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I don't really know who's playing with this. It's not an EDH card, but whatever.
0: I, I think the judge promo popped because promos have been being targeted, and then the non foils uh, people noticed there's relatively limited supply and decided to target them as well. Also, this is not banned, by the way.
1: This Mm. is legal in every format.
0: Well, it's not illegal in Modern. Because it's never been been printed (laughs) into Modern.
1: Sure, but it can't... uh, Yes, it's not banned anywhere, though.
0: Uh, It's not banned in EDH? Nope. Oh. Because I don't think you technically have a sideboard in EDH. Yeah, that's why I thought it would be banned. Because I didn't think they wanted you searching through binaries looking for cards. Oh, well. Yeah,
1: I mean, I guess, like, so sponsor of Ulamog it says like you own outside the game. It's supposed to be just like cards you have on hand nearby sort of type of thing. But like, it doesn't seem like there's much of a community for people doing that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Cause it's just dumb, right? It's just not interesting.
0: Yeah. Um, what's next for us? Well, next on the list, we have blasphemous act foils from original Innistrad moving from around $10 to 20. So that's just about a double up. Um, most popular red card in all of EDH best red sweeper or one of the best
1: yep i feel i feel a little vindicated here i i called foil blasphemous act um at a couple bucks it was a while ago now uh quite a few shows ago but i did uh i did call that nice one thank you next up on our list is hate flayer from eventide now this is one of those sets whose set symbol i never remember i guessed it is evn but i'm not sure uh, started the week at a little over a dollar. It's up around three right now. Uh, our best guess is Marisol, right? Um, yeah, yeah. It's probably what it would be because then Marisol gets to oh no wrong button gets to shoot things because Hate Flare pay three mana tap or pay three mana untap deals damage equal to its power to target creature or player um so it's the untap function in here that's important because you can give her the ability to tap for mana or something uh or tap to untap a target land which taps for mana and then you can use hate flayer to untap her and get a second activation each one of these can still only be used once um but it is uh it is an option although you might be able to set up a string with that though right like Cause I, I think the way she's freight, she's worded. You still have access to the old ones, don't you? But uh, well, she that. has all.
0: You can only activate each of the abilities once each turn, so right. you can do a bunch of stuff through the untapping of her, um, in combination with say one of the artifacts that helps her untap, um, and potentially like a aura or whatever the hell you're right ring. Right.
1: Yeah, but wait, wait. Now you give. Mireille haste with like Urbrask and then you flicker her and now it's a new oh, mireille you can get the abilities again so you can set up infinite chains with her it's just kind of a pain in the ass because it does give her the activated abilities of all the cards that you exiled so it's not like every time she comes back you're starting fresh
0: right doesn't doesn't matter which version of her is in play whether she's been blinked or come back out of the command zone yep. that stuff's still sitting there exiled waiting to be used Yep. Okay. So there you go. Um, All sorts of spicy stuff. What's next for us? So next on the list, we have Phyrexian Reclamation foils from Urza's Legacy moving from in around $30 to $40 up into the more like $90 to $100. No idea if anybody's moved any at that price yet, but these Urza's Legacy foils are drying up, folks. So if you need any for any reason, um, you probably want to be hunting around locally, seeing if you can track some down in a display case somewhere that haven't been repriced. Um, otherwise, you're going to be facing... Um, higher plateau even if they don't settle quite where they're sitting after the spikes yeah yeah this is uh this is a pretty solid edh card i don't care
1: for it because i don't like that much recursion but um plenty of people do and it's a powerful effect and very cheap in terms of monocost how many decks does
0: this thing show up in an edh mm, i didn't actually look let me plug it in it's and... like almost ten thousand decks yeah so I mean, those foils are totally legit targets, because I'm guessing a lot of its uh, various printings have been non-foil.
1: Uh, yes, correct. It was just the two commander sets, I believe. And I mean, yeah, three mana, like plop it down for one, pay two, return a creature to your hand. I mean, it's it's a lot of power
0: there. Nasty, nasty.
1: Um, okay, next up is Duress. We are looking at the, uh, I believe it's Arena Promo, technically, is what this comes in under. Um so it's a foil old border. It uses the art from Urza's Saga. Uh, interestingly, there's actually an old border and a modern border foil with that art. So a lot of options. Um, but it is, the, I believe, the only old border foil. No, there's a 7th edition foil, too. So really, the Arena League promo is not particularly unique in any case it jumped from about 25 to 65 supposedly i only see one near mint copy on tcg at 100 but the market price is still only 25 so the price on this has definitely moved uh but i don't really know exactly how much given how many other options you have here
0: yeah uh This is the kind of thing where I think you're going to have trouble unloading in volume. So if you can even, you know, get out of the one or two copies you have lying around in a binder, at least throw them up on eBay and see if it sells. Um, But I wouldn't hold your breath. Yeah. Agreed. What do you got next for us? Uh, Pop quiz. What card did I buy from uh, Sigmund Offresser? Uh, Three copies of it, $9 this morning. (laughs) Uh, Well, I've got it sitting in front of me. I'm going to go with Morphling. That would be the one. Um, Sig said he was in real low. Like, he likes to get out quick. And uh, I think it's a hold. Um, it's reserved list. It works with Maricel. Um, there just aren't that many lying around. Um, supplies are relatively low. And I think this post-up shop somewhere in the 15 to $20 range, give it 6 to 12 months. And I'm that's not going to be my best spec of the year, but that's a, a totally solid mid-tier spec. Um, And if they have to sit in the trade binder and get traded out to EDH folks at EDH matches, then so be it.
1: Sure, that's fair. Um, Okay, our next card is Time of Need from Champions of Kamigawa. The foil copies we're looking at started the week at 5, now looking at about 15. Uh, I, I don't know. This one kind of has me stumped. I my best guess is that people think this will fetch planeswalkers, but it won't cuz it says legendary creature. Could just be that there are no copies left, but I don't know who's playing this. I, I guess it's a 60-card deck, but then why are we talking about foils instead of non-foils?
0: No idea. This is this is a card that I've looked at many times thinking it should be more expensive and then failed to come up with good reasons why that would be the case. Right. So, uh, I think this is again, have priorities people. Like you don't you don't need to be hopping on every little Piece of action that supposedly goes down. You just need to focus on the things that are going to make you the most money. So you see something like this, like you, you throw a couple copies up and see if they sell, and then you move right along.
1: Yep. I mean, you know, if this popped up in a deck someplace and we're missing it, please let us know. But at the moment, I
0: uh, I don't know where to go with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you got next? pangasaur was retrofitted to be a dinosaur, and since there aren't that many dinosaurs for dinosaur tribal. In EDH, foils of this thing have gone from $1 to $3, which is a 200% gain and totally pointless because it falls right in that sweet spot that we hate so much. Yeah,
1: also, I don't know if you've seen this card, but Calcina is painful in EDH so i don't know what the purpose of this card ever would be in that deck other than it's whenever a player plays a land return it to your hand like who (laughs) you've got four people at the table this will you will never untap with this card. Mm, and it's a a four minus six six
0: in theory you can do silly things like um oh yeah when it comes into play or i mean there's a bunch of enchantments you can probably leverage that want things to come in and out of play a bunch but they're not dinosaur specific necessarily right 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 that's yeah Uh, i guess i hadn't thought about that but that yeah even still okay i mean there's combos but i mean there are seventeen thousand combos like that in edh and most of them are just silly right Okay, Uh,
1: next on our list is uh, the arch enemy schemes. I just put those in here really quick. Uh, A bunch of them spiked in price this week. We talked about one or two last week as well. (laughs) Uh, This just seems to be somebody who went, oh, I'm going to go after these. And then that was that and uh, and chase them down. So I.
0: here's the thing we've been tracking like movement on alpha beta reserve lists antiquities arabian nights legends in the dark for like months now it's it's actually months that these have been targeting and it's been day after day after day for about the last 60 days of everything relevant that is unlikely to ever see reprint for either the reserve list reason or uh the extremely hard to reprint like the arch enemy schemes this is not natural uh, attrition through sales to players. This is, there's some of that going on for sure, because as the hype engine builds around all of this, people are going, well, shit, I did, there is this thing that I was going to buy later, but if it's about to spike or is spiking, then I may as well jump in and grab mine now. And that's assisting with some of the profit taking that is encouraging the people that started all this, this nonsense to keep rolling with it. But these like relentless, like 50, 60 alpha and beta cards a day, that's not natural. That's not a pattern we've ever seen before. It is definitely deeper pockets. um, And, you know, there are definitely bottom feeders and MTG finance types nibbling at the edges, but these are deeper pockets. Like these are people with, that are either, you know, mid tier to high, high tier vendors. You know, there's no point in pointing any fingers because there's zero evidence, but the, you know, these are people that have decided as part of their business to put a lockdown on cards that are hard to replace. And one of the things that's kind of nice there for anybody who's trying to nibble around the edges and buy a few copies is that some of this stuff that actually has reasonable demand profile, um, you know, people that are smart enough to, to be this relentless are also probably smart enough and comfortable holding on to some of this product. So sometimes you see a buyout and the guy gets all excited and he posts pictures on eBay of his hundred copies.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and I always laugh at those pictures cuz I'm like you realize that that kills like 75% of your sales right like no one wants to buy from the guy who's declaring himself a shark pre-purchase everybody wants to feel like they're getting a deal so some of these these plateaus can be much more easily supported if people say buy 100 copies of something and then put 99 in the vault and sell them easy breezy one at a time every week forever Um, They're still claiming their profits. They're claiming them across the board on 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 cards a week, but it's only onesie, twosie stuff, Um, and it makes it seem like the market is much more shallow than it actually is if you knew how many copies were sitting in the vault. So it's going to be interesting to check in on this stuff in six months and see how many of these plateaus have collapsed. You know, Some of them certainly have fallen back, but very few have fallen back 100%. It's been back 20, back 30, back 40, back 50% sometimes, depending on the overall demand profile. But, I'll, you know, that's still a very reasonable gain in a very short period of time. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, I, I don't care for it, but it is what it is. And I, good luck selling them, I guess. I just I can't. It's hard to imagine that being particularly profitable in any case. It doesn't really help our listeners just stay away from this type of stuff. Um. OK, last card for the week is Thran Lens. We were looking at foils from Urza's Legacy. Uh, I mean, you know it's saying it went from a dollar and change to 17 uh i'm looking over on tcg player and there's two foils at, there's five foil copies at 10 bucks and the market price is still a dollar 50 it's a 2 mana artifact that makes all our permanents colorless so i'm pretty confident this was just somebody taking aim and firing uh it's not a reserve list card so it is reprintable it's just an this legacy foil that's kind of unique i suppose uh, you got
0: anything better single single printing old foil yeah um and people trying to mop up every last thing they can from those sets
1: yeah so pretty much what i figured yeah
0: it's definitely not a play pattern driven thing this is like we're getting overhang now from the reserve list targetings like every like i said it's people looking over their shoulder for like they just finished eating the carcass and they're like there's got to be another zebra around here somewhere like yeah that one's only got three legs but whatever i'll just go ahead yeah right
1: okay uh let's move on
0: segment two our cards to watch james why don't you get us started uh, let's kick this off with a question when was the last time a meaningful modern card spiked
1: uh i am actually not sure i would have to go back and look if you, for a while it was all the time and they're less likely less common now
0: there's definitely been movement on stuff Uh, in the spring, there was a bunch of stuff that spiked because it wasn't in MM17, right? Um, and some of that stuff showed up now in Iconic Masters. Some more of it's going to show up in 25th. Then they're going to announce something else for the following fall if Iconic Masters does well. So, I mean, people, people were saying like MDG Finance was dead with all these master sets and it's nowhere near dead. Um, there's, this has been maybe the, one of the busiest years in MTG finance history, but modern finance dead, mm, shaky, definitely shaky. Standard finance, super shaky. Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. So what's your card? (laughs) Nothing in those two formats. Um, we'll continue down the path of looking at fantastic EDH cards that go under the radar. So <clears throat> it, without looking at my list, would you have known, had I said 7,000 deck green card and EDH from Ether Revolt? Ooh, uh, no, probably not. I don't know. I feel like I know Ether Revolt well enough to, to catch that. So Rishkar's expertise the green sorcery that uh lets you cast a spell for free out of your hand for what five or less uh
1: yes because that's the one that costs six so yeah it would be five
0: yeah so draw cards equal to the greatest power among creatures you control for six mana two of it green you may cast a card with converted mana cost five or less from your hand without paying its mana cost this is in 7,000 decks already having come out in february or january Third most played card from that set after Disallow and and my third pick. Um, Disallow I don't like so much because the foils are already about $10 uh, propped up by Standard Play, but Rishkar's expertise is nowhere to be seen in Standard, certainly not making a splash in Modern, pretty much an EDH-only deck, but the the foil supply is not that deep, like 50, 60 listings or something on TCG, so it's going to take a couple years to drain out into the EDH crowd, but you can pick up these foil rares for $2.50 right now. And they have got to hit $10 plus uh, because on the basis that this is not a commander-specific card, it's just a really good green card that provides a bunch of card draw, then lets you cast something for free, fits into pretty much any green deck that's got decent-sized creatures in it, and that's a lot of decks.
1: Yeah, this is a really cool card. Um, I think a lot of EDH decks are going to be interested in playing this type of effect, Um it's just a good card. I mean, green of course has no shortage of them, but uh, it lets you get around some clever stuff too. And you know, these types of you know, these types of foils where you've got kind of a reasonable supply out there is fine because then you at least feel like you're getting into the ground floor, right? And then you can wait a little while and it's always nice to have cards in your box that you're set up for to get out like a year or two down the road, because if you just kind of keep that up, it means you're getting in at dirt cheap prices. And then, you know, every month or two, you're pulling out cards that you had set up a, w- a while ago that you're now getting paid off on. If you can set up those long-term re- recurring long-term payoffs, it's really nice.
0: And keep in mind that Ether revolt, uh, is, was significantly smaller printing than Kaladesh. Cause it's a winter set, small set, not a fall large set and standard was also having a lot of trouble last winter. So it's dubious how much of it actually got opened. Um, Certainly a lot, but not as much as it might have been. And, you know, that means that the associated masterpieces are more rare and means that these foil rares, while not super rare, um, are going to be still, you know, pretty tricky to get a hold of come three to five years down the road, especially if uh, this goes from 7,000 decks to like 15,000.
1: Mm hmm. Okay. Um, all right, I'm going to jump over to my first card, and that is uh, Verderous Gearhulk Foils from Kaladesh. Uh, I know I've talked about this card before, but I just keep coming back to it. I was browsing the um, standard results that we saw over um, on Moto, and Verderous Gearhulk was popping up. Uh, the foil copies are $7. Pack foils are $7, okay? Pack non foils are $6. <laughs> foils are a dollar more than the non-foils and it's like okay sure i will take foils at seven dollars of this card because burger's gear, gear Hulk is going to be one of the best cards from the kaladesh block kaladesh set in the new standard because it's a really good card uh and the price on this card will move And you will have the better version of it when it does. So, even if you still only end up selling the foils for a dollar or two more than whatever the non foils are, it will still be, um, you know, I I like the opportunity here to also hit a better foil multiplier as the non foil climbs. So, you can grab them at seven bucks. I think you will probably have an opportunity to dump foils at 20.
0: One of the interesting things with this card, um, which appears in about 16 or 1700 decks on the EDH.rec. Is that more players are probably leaning towards Super Friends builds uh, of Atraxa at this point, given that the new Planeswalker rules make that super attractive? Mm -hmm. Um, As opposed to the original kind of first instinct with Atraxa, which was to go with like counters and tokens and stuff. but you know both styles of deck are, are played, and Verterous Gear +1 plus +1 one, plus one Counters is a theme that Wizards comes back to again and again over time. So I can see like Verdurus Gear Hulk getting there down the road. It may take longer than a couple of the other Gear Hulks, though. For instance, Noxious and Combustible Gear Hulk aren't in 1600 decks; they're in like almost 5,000 decks um, a piece, uh, according to edh.rec, um, With Noxious being in about 4,800 and Combustible closer to 44. And foils uh, of both of those are probably equally attractive, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Oh, yeah. And I mean, if you're talking about going at this from an EDH perspective, then it's a different conversation. I'm thinking about it for standard. I mean, I think the card's going to get go, you know, it, it's the... Um, boring but fairly reliable strategy of looking for the best card in the old set that people aren't really thinking about because they're too excited about pirates and dinosaurs and buying those mythics and then it turns out that card's still going to be important in standard in the fall and it's going to go up in price um, you know we see it time and time again it's like oh yeah last fall's mythics are still good um, so you know cards like uh Hartacurin would be great too if it weren't like fifteen bucks. So but I think Verderus Gearhulk is one of those kind of just ride the standard demand.
0: I'm gunshy on standard right now. I want I want to see confirmation from a bunch of LGS owners that their sales for Xelon are strong and comparable with expectations. Before I jump in on any standard specs, because the standard stays weak um, and they're having trouble bringing people back to the table after scaring so many people off last winter. then it could be that all the best specs are ultra logical, but that the demand profile just isn't there to support them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, we've heard that Ixalan is more popular than uh, the last sets have been. Uh, So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to kind of hope that that's the case uh, anecdotally, Um, we'll see, I suppose it might not be, but, uh, you know, standard cards do move in price. It tends to be a, tends to be a format that's very, uh, swingy. Um, you know, obviously walking blister made people a ton of money if they had any, uh, but you had to be a lot more accurate to get that right. Uh, it feels a little more like guesswork. Um, so I agree that it's trickier. Uh, in general because it feels more random than like commander does but there is profit to be made uh, if you feel there's profit to be made you just have to be more comfortable with what you're aiming for
0: i mean one of the nice things with standard and modern with constructed in general outside of edh is that you get to sell four copies at a time Yeah. Um, In a lot of cases. Now, that's not an automatic when you're talking about a five drop, but, you know, green and a little ramp, it's more like a four drop in those decks. So they can, you know, depending on how the metagame shakes out, how good is Ramanop Red still going to be? How much early pressure are you going to get from aggro decks in this format? Um, And, you know, how good is the distribution of the plus one plus one counters given everything else you might be trying to do with your deck? All of that factors in um i'm curious whether it fits into some kind of blue green merfolk build i have no idea i just know that i haven't seen any lists that are that are trumpeting it yet it's not something that todd was bringing up uh last week on the cast so i need to see it prove out in some you know early play at the first big tournament before i get too excited sure that's fair i i understand that
1: uh what do you got
0: next so continuing on with my theme of uh, under uh, unheralded foils from Ether Revolt, Lifecrafter's Bestiary is the fourth most played uh, card in EDH with almost uh, 6,000 decks running it. Um, and the thing about this that's really nice is, that, like Rishkar's Expertise, it's not specific to any given deck other than that you're running creatures. This is the artifact for three that at the beginning of your upkeep gives you a free scry, which is nice card selection over time. And whenever you cast a creature spell, you pay a green, and if you do, you draw a card. Um, so card advantage and plus card selection, all in a neat little package. It's a good card, but not the kind of card that immediately draws attention. Um, there's often other targets on the table people have to deal with first, you know, artifacts that are going to let people combo off and and kill people. Um, and bestiary, it can be a piece of various uh, puzzles that you set up in your deck, um, but I like those like mid tier uh, applicable across the board and a whole bunch of different decks style cards much more than I like, you know, a-, a card that's only good in a specific tribe. That is a that's that's an interesting way to think about. It. I'm sorry, were you done? Oh, I was just going to point out that the foils are only three bucks. And I think as with Rishkar's expertise, if you get in the two fifty to $3 range, you're going to get it get off the train north of $10, you know, it could take two years. Um, and if you've got better targets picked out that you can flip faster, then focus on those first. But sometimes you just got some money in your account. You need some mid-tier specs to park it in. Um, you can do worse. And especially if you're just looking to pick these cards up. I think you know these are local lows on these foils. And there's no reason to hold back if you're acquiring for your cube or your EDH decks.
1: Sure. I think that's totally fair. And it's an interesting for, uh, way to think about it, too, is that um, they are... It's not a must kill card, which means that it's going to feel good just hanging out in play. Like you're going to get to keep it a lot, Mm -hmm. Uh, which, you know, I guess it doesn't it might be hard to sell it. Right. Um, Like based on that. But like maybe you will play a game and see your buddy with
0: it and notice that it just sat there the entire game and be like, I want to do that. Well, and keep in mind, like if you look at Ixalan cards on EDH shot rack, there's almost nothing that's been added to more than a thousand decks. It takes some time, six to nine to 12 months for like the community to catch up to what's good and then update their decks accordingly. And so, you know, we're nine months out or so, not even nine months out from either Revolt. And, you know, the, we've got 10 cards or so that are in more than 3000 decks. Um, so the set's actually relatively EDH rich um, and bestiary and and expertise are just you know two of the top five that seem destined to be role players and also aren't super likely to get reprinted anytime soon in foil Uh, i mean these are both edh specific cards that looks like their destiny and so they will show up in edh decks at some point you know edh 2019 or whatever could have any, any either of these cards but again not in foil until they change that policy
1: okay um yep i agree Okay, Uh, my second card for the week, uh, in keeping with the theme, um, I was looking at Torrential Gearhawk. Uh, Not the Foils, though, this time. Just the normal pack pack copies. Available at around 15 right now, uh, which is about that card's low point for what we've seen since we figured out it was good. I think um, Approach the Sun, Approach of the Second Sun, whatever that card is, um, is looking like it's going to be part of the standard metagame. Any control build is going to use Torrential Gear Hulk. decks with, you know, opt is around. People are going to want to build these types of decks. It's there. Uh, there's also the cool little tech that Carnage Tyrant, that like seven, six dinosaur that's a pain in the butt for control to deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the good ways to answer him is the clone from uh, like Hour of Devastation because uh you can just clone it and make your own carnage
0: zero of many faces
1: yeah to basically combat theirs to um and then but it's like okay well if you're playing that like in in a control deck to answer it you also get to copy your own torrential gear hulk so it kind of makes you want to play your torrential gear hulks because it means you get to copy those um you know if they don't have the carnage tyrant on the board so just a, a little bit of a incentive to, to play a little more torrential. In any case, it's definitely one of the best cards from Kaladesh, just the way Verderous is. Any control decks, probably running four torrentials. We've seen a lot of control decks that basically had four torrential gear hulks and then not much else in the way of Rares or Mythics, and that's been a common theme through the last standard. Um, so if control's any good, this card's going to be part of it, and I think it's a, if that's the case, it's at least a $20 card, which like from 15 to 20 you don't care about, but it's very possible it could strike 30.
0: Any other year, I would have been thinking this was a slam dunk. It's super powerful. Um, it's been proven in multiple decks. I want to see, again, I want to see how standard plays out. Uh, and I'm willing to miss the boat on some of these standard specs in favor of some of the longer-term stuff, if need be, or stuff from Europe or whatever, to uh, dodge getting stuck with a bunch of stuff. Um my little pile of Emmercool the promised end, is not doing me any favors, and I don't really want to be in that position again. Um, I don't expect we're going to see any bannings in the in the near future, um, and both of these Gear Hulks are very strong contenders to be four-ofs. The question is whether they're four-ofs in multiple decks, which is really what would get me more excited on, on some of these Mythics, um, especially given that they were fall-set Mythics and not small-set Mythics um but i mean these these are solid pickups i think uh if you think you're going to be playing with them go ahead and get them if you want to go deep on them you're taking a risk um it's a calculated risk these are good targets but the stars do need to align now for standard to make people a bunch of money
1: yeah i don't disagree and i'm not advocating people buy you know six or seven play sets uh that's not what these are they're really your best bet i would say is these are the type of cards you can trade for um, because you'll find them floating around. You can make even trades at your store and feel good about an even trade, and then you get to trade it back later uh, without losing, without paying any of the overhead involved, the shipping type of thing. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I think that they're all going to go up in price. I can't guarantee you that they're going to be slam dunks, and it is metagame dependent, but I think that, you know, the versatility of these cards is high enough that, like, it's almost, it's highly unlikely we won't see a control deck. So, and... If there is, it will play Torrential Gearhulk. And it's highly unlikely we won't see some sort of green deck that beats people up. And if that exists, it will probably want Murderous Gearhulk. So it is a bit... It's its less certain than, you know, EDH foils. That is, that is sure. That is sure.
0: I think you want to be up early on the Saturday for the first SCG event and see how the first few rounds go. Have a nice cart built out with standard specs and see what you want to snap by um, on... Uh, the the proliferation of cards across multiple archetypes
1: yeah that's really I mean that's tricky though because you know we've talked about system before and this opening star city event is always um, is not necessarily indicative of what the pro
0: tours trip to look like yeah true. But with the Pro Tour being so far down the road, some of these specs are going to go down based on a few weeks of SCG before Pro Tour even factors in. Right. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I kind of wonder, you know, it's the type of thing that if you watch it and you see, like, one deck running Burger Risk, and you're like, oh, okay, so maybe it's good enough, but uh, I don't know for sure. Uh, but if you tune in and see half the field running, like, Verderous Risk, then it's like, yeah, there's a pretty good bet that this card is going to be good no matter what ends up what the decks end up looking like
0: at the pro tour because clearly everybody figured out how good it was Yep, yeah. and it's a and it's such a like mid-rangey these are both mid-rangey like stapley cards that there's no way they're ever getting banned like, right that whatever ends up broken in a format it won't be those yeah okay what's your last pick for the week so the second most popular card after disallow out of other revolt um on edh.rack is Paradox Engine which everybody was like oh my god it's going to get banned but doesn't seem to be any talk that that's actually happening um, when I saw this thing I, I called it out as one of the most busted things I'd ever seen and it's and I remember saying on cast that I that I thought it was uh, looked like it was from Urza's block it was so busted 5 casting costs for a legendary artifact whenever you cast a spell untap all non-land permanents you control I mean there's going to be just so many ways to break this over time it's crazy
1: uh yeah it is a pretty ridiculous card i mean how many edh decks did we say it was in Eighty three hundred already yeah that's pretty nuts good even that there's uh
0: the card came out so recently and so here's the thing you can get the the regular pack foils for 10 to 12 dollars i think those are a slam dunk buy they're very relatively few on tcg player and then the masterpiece series has has been targeted just no one's been talking about it there are very very few left. You're going to find a few handfuls here and there for $45 to $50. I think you snap by those. I think this is a future $100 masterpiece.
1: Yeah. Yep. Uh, that's very yeah, that doesn't seem unreasonable. It is a
0: ridiculous car uh card. Yeah, card, card, card. Okay, so so I think I think it's time for us to check our the stock over in Europe on these and see how many how deep we can get. <laughs> I, I feel like I've looked it up before, but I don't remember. Uh, okay,
1: let's move on and talk about uh, segment three. Our metagame we can review the first standard event over on Moto uh, with the new cards. And if you like dinosaurs, boy, you are going to be happy because it's basically nothing but dinosaurs. Uh, we are looking at Let's see, one, oh, sorry, one, two, three, four, five decks showed up, and we've got one, two, three dinosaur decks. So three out of the five decks are dinosaurs. Um, I'm seeing, uh, there's definitely variation among them too. Remember Moto, you know, with the way they post these lists, which is, dumb as dirt, but the way they do it is that they have to be different by 10 cards and you're still getting three dragon or dinosaur lists. So they're all 10 cards different from each other. Um, the, uh, the common points here are Ripjaw Raptor. We've seen a lot of that. I think there's, I think that's a four of in all three of them. Um, you're seeing, let's see what else was in here. Uh, register alpha was pretty popular. Um, we saw commune with, uh, or Sammet, the tested in in two of them. It looks like no one of them. One of them is playing Sammet. So we talked about that uh, a couple weeks ago. Cliff talked about it. Todd uh, Stevens talked about it. So um, an appeal there. Death Gorge scavenger. Uh, the kind of fixed scavenger news showing up as well. Um, so some interesting, interesting dinosaur list in here. Uh, I don't know anything you
0: notice here, James. Mm, I'm not seeing a lot of lists with four Carnage Tyrants. Nope. Uh, looks like two is the desired number. I do see some lists with four as Gear Hulk. Um, there's there's like a black green mid rangy build that is also running Walking Ballista, Gear Hulk, and Winding Constrictor, um, alongside uh, the Enrage Raptors, Ripjaw, and Ranging, and the Kite Sail Freebooter as the you know duress effect. Uh, or, um, and Death Gorge Scavenger is kind of like the little value engine. Blossoming Defenses, Fatal Pushes, and Vraska's Contempt. It's just like your like, standard issue, standard green-black midrange. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so there you go. Uh,
1: we also saw uh, the approach of the second Sun deck is in there. Running, getting into the Trials for Fumigate. Um, there weren't any of that uh, Exile Everything all settle the wreckage they only settle the wreckage in the board uh, for search for asconta in the main on the approach of the second sun, sun deck that's the blue legendary enchantment uh, now that's another one that i think is pretty interesting that uh, i could see you know if you wanted to spec on a standard card, it might be that one not now not today but uh, the opportunity may come up um, and then like a, a Remina
0: red showing up as well yeah i don't like things like search for Ascanta because i feel like they're gonna settle in one deck. Um, What I want to see for standard stuff at this point is A, a like like the ideal, is the four of Mythic that's played in at least two archetypes. Yeah, um, And standard is pumping and people are happy. That card will make you some money. Um, I mean, Gideon, uh, ally of Zendikar, maintained a high price point for most of its existence in standard as a fall set Mythic. um, But it was also... Uh, you know so dominant so good so format defining for so long and a survivor after a bunch of bannings that with even more broken cards um, that I think it's a special case I think it's, it's going to be tough to find a, a card that shows up in that many decks that is a mythic um, especially looking at these lists like a lot of these cards that have popped like Chandra, Chandra Torch of Defiance that aren't running four copies so it's not a card I'd want to be holding a ton of copies of
1: yeah yeah i mean search for eskanta is like is one of those cards like if everything breaks its way you could see half the decks in the format are blue and most of them want the card like that's possible but uh yeah i mean it's it's kind
0: of a stretch for that to to happen for sure Mm -hmm. so i'm curious how deep uh, the pool of, of possible decks is going to go whether dinosaurs is, is pushed out a little too hard uh, versus other available options. If it's just going to be a cross the board mid range grind fest where you have like six or seven different configurations that are possible. That's not necessarily great for specs either um because if the format is doing well but there there aren't a lot of commonalities across all the decks then you're going to see some of the rares that would have otherwise been two or three dollars rise up into the six or eight dollar range but you may it may happen a little drip at a time and you never really get on board at the right moment
1: yeah um yeah i mean it is worth remembering though that there's no uh, masterpieces in this one right so that yep, could change that matters yeah that could change how this how this functions those Definitely did do, a job, do, do a good job of keeping standard cheaper
0: yeah well that that's definitely the case now i think that the way that they tried to balance that this time because they they pulled those masterpieces kind of like mid process in fact i think they pulled them after they already had the set settled um so and probably had to go back and kind of re-template some things uh in terms of like what was actually included and and which uh how that was all going to get printed at the printer uh and because of that, they seem to have hollowed out the Mythics. Like, there just aren't that many interesting Mythics in Ixalan. A lot of the long-range value is probably going to be in foil rares.
1: Okay, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's pop- That's probably true. Um, you know, if we're looking at a couple years down the road. Um, yeah, because the Mythics just aren't really that exciting. So that would give you... You know, that
0: that's where it would come from. Well, like Carnage Tyrant is not going to be a card that survives... Uh, outside of standard as like a as a spec target jace cunning castaway uh could have a future in modern that, that could easily happen um just because there will be some way to leverage his particular combination of abilities at some point um Braska willock seeker is is, is like a, and a one of EDH card in Atraxa down the road, so those foils will probably make some money after you get in at the lows. Uh, Hawatli probably fits into a dinosaur deck in EDH, but that'll be a relatively fringe deck. Gishath, Sun's Avatar, is, again, a fringe commander. And then a Butcher of Megan makes the vampire deck, but so what? Admiral, Admiral Beckett Brass. I just don't buy that Pirates is an interesting enough tribe that very many people are going to go for it. I think a lot of these like tribes from this set are going to be relatively fringe in EDH. I don't think any of them are going to crack the top 15 um, in terms of most popular decks. And most of the rest of these, these mythics are throwaways yeah
1: for sure for sure
0: Star star of extinction is probably the the most likely mythic to to be worth money in three years in edh yeah it, it's
1: certainly not a set where the mythics are oriented for long-term edh play um so yeah it, it is definitely going to be much more standard oriented for sure yeah, uh, or yeah. Rares, let me rephrase that the mythics aim more for standard the rares will do better in the long-term
0: yeah, because like roughly half of the flip cards will probably be, end up being relevant um, in EDH and beyond, potentially. Uh, Cube, for sure, some of these. Um, you know, a lot of the hype around things like Growing rights of Itlamok is going to shrink when they don't produce for standard and or modern, and then come down to very reasonable levels, and then I'm going to start buying some of these things. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, moving right along to our grab bag of reader questions... Um, well what can we
1: what can we start with the topic that we were chatting off uh, before the stream you want to start there
0: oh hit me yeah okay yeah so so tell me about your cool little scheme
1: okay so i feel a little bad bringing this up because i feel like i'm screwing myself but i will be kind and share (laughs) with all of you um so doug johnson um over on BSB occasionally uh posted a email that he got from wizards of the coast uh and he had asked about so Excuse me, sending in a damaged expedition um, back from Battles on Now, for those of you who aren't well aware, um, the original expeditions from BFZ packs, a lot of them were cut improperly, and it resulted in really bad edge wear. Um, so you were opening a pack and pulling out what would be considered an SP or MP expedition. So Wizard set up a program where you could send those back to them, and they would send you a near mint copy of it. Um, so I capitalized on that. At one point I bought up a bunch of slightly played copies in one of star City's sales. Cause they had SP copies at cheaper than near mint and then put the SP copies on sale. And then I got to turn them all into near mint. So that was pretty cool. But Doug, nice. bro- Doug, yeah, Doug, bro. Well, it would have been nicer if the expeditions didn't crater. Um, Doug asked them recently if that was still an option an option. And they said, no, we don't have any left, but what we'll do is if you send us an expedition, a damaged expedition, um, not just like played from packware, but it has to be like the type that are cut wrong. Uh, we will send you a random masterpiece from a supported set. Now my spider senses started tingling upon reading that that sentence. So I sent them a series of questions, and I said, "Hey, uh, you said that you said this is what you said. Is that true? If that's true, are are the supported sets all for current?" Uh, the the, the Kaledish block and the Amonkhet block, are those the four sets we're talking about? If that's the case, are all of the uh, masterpieces from those four sets, so the Inventions and the Invocations, are all of them included? And if that's the case, uh, are they included equally? So is Soul Ring just as likely as Divert, as likely as Wrath of God, as likely as Sculpting Steel? Um, and the answer to all of those was yes. So if you send them a uh damaged expedition you will get a random masterpiece from kaladesh or 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 our or block um and it will be any one of those cards any one of them uh you don't know which one you're getting so (laughs) my thought was okay i am going to send them 50 damaged Canopy Vistas <laughs> because you can get them for like $17 SP. Most of them will qualify and the average value of the Inventions and Invocations is way over $17. I mean, you've got like Soul Ring and... Uh, uh, Chalice of the Void, Aether Vial, all those things, floating around that are worth a lot more than that. Force of so Will. Um, Wizards did tell me that they will not just exchange 40 of these for you. Um, you are supposed to include a receipt with a sealed product that you bought that included the Expedition. So, uh, I mean, you could send them a receipt for a sealed battle for Zendikar box and 36 damaged canopy Vista expeditions. I'm pretty sure they are not going to believe that you opened an expedition in every single pack in that box and that they were all damaged and that they were all the same. Um, so the option is out there. If you've got any damage expeditions left, uh, you know, and you want to roll the dice, go for it. I didn't do the math to find out what the actual EV on, um, on the masterpieces is right now. If you want to figure that out, you just have to add basically the low price of every single masterpiece between those two blocks together and average it across the total quantity. So I'm guessing it's somewhere in the neighborhood of like 40 bucks or something like that. I'm not positive. Um, And my goal is to try and figure out a way to get wizards to exchange like a boatload of
0: these, but we will see. (laughs) See, I think you don't, I think this is one of those opportunities where there's no point trying to get greedy because it'll just shut down the program for everybody. Um, they'll put the brakes on hard if they notice people sending in 20s and 30s at a time. But I think what you do do is pick up some like LP uh, Expedition Smoldering Marsh for like $17 on TCG, and you send and you pick up a Canopy Vista, and you send a couple of those in and see what happens. And if it works and you get something cool, then you repeat it a couple more times from a different name or address. And before people start yelling out, scumbags, MTG Finance, scumbags, remember, these, these are cards that were damaged. <laughs> They're just replacing them. Uh, somebody, somebody got screwed with the damaged card and lost value and had to sell it under market. Um, and that's on Wizards, not on the rest of us. Now, I don't think we should be pursuing this to the extent of trying to pass in 100 copies, but I got no problem with anybody, you know, rounding up a few likely candidates and getting them to swap just for funsies to see what happens
1: yeah yeah you know it it does sort of bug me a little bit that wizards won't just honor all of them because even if i'm not the one who bought the sealed product that had that card somebody was and somebody got screwed and it's like yep you know so i know it's not me and like i guess i'm getting paid for them getting screwed but it's not like i screwed them and it feels like wizards is just trying to go well okay i screwed somebody else but it wasn't you specifically so too bad
0: when i get I think your argument would be stronger if if it was a one to one exchange you were looking for like if it was just like the difference between SP and near mint copies was 20 bucks and you were gonna like, pull 20 of them together, and after fees and time and whatever, you were going to make five or six bucks a copy. Okay, no big deal. But because you're getting, like, you're trading it in for a lottery of masterpieces from amonket and Kaladesh blocks, I mean, that's, like, a pretty strict upgrade, and we know it's a strict upgrade. You're, <laughs> you're trading in, you're deliberately targeting the cheapest expeditions in the market, <laughs> and then trading them in for potentially a masterpiece soul Ring. Um, and I think those are the kind of opportunities that are cute, but no reason to get greedy. You just brings down bring down the wrath of the community on us <sighs> yeah
1: yeah i suppose that the best thing here is probably if you've got one or two terrible you know of the battle for zendikar basics floating around uh that were damaged and you know maybe you're like oh maybe i should just send these in and roll the dice like that's probably the best the best recommendation because i don't even think you can lose like so if you're if you If you have one, like, the cheapest ones are, like, $17, and I think there's, like, four masterpieces that basically are worth less than that, and it's about, like, a dollar. So you're basically bottom barrel if you've got, like, the Zendikar expeditions. um, Or the, I'm sorry, the Battle for Zendikar
0: Land expeditions. So maybe we will be nice and include the the link they need to uh, take a stab at this in the show notes?
1: Uh, I don't have it. (laughs) Uh, You just have to file a... um, a report with Wizards customer service there's steps outlined somewhere if I think about it and find it I will include it but I'm not even sure at the moment
0: okay fair enough I'll, I'll try to track it down and post it for everybody okay
1: yeah if I had it I would just say sure but I don't even have it at the
0: moment okay so let's look at some I'm sorry go ahead you had a thought so just wanted to um, get your feedback on the little segment I did for the CBC last week um, oh yeah it was really cool it was it was fun to see i
1: thought you did i thought you did a great job um you know it's it's kind of funny to see it on a national program like that because it's i mean surface level doesn't even begin to scratch it right it's like somebody standing on i don't know a cruise ship with a magnifying glass and looking at a piece of ice sticking out of the water and being like yeah i can see that iceberg and it's like okay you see (laughs) you see a pinpoint of light and it's you know hundreds of thousands of tons underwater. So um but it was very cool. It was it was interesting to hear. She pretended to be interested at least. Um yeah I I thought it was interesting. I I, in general I
0: don't have any uh any way to complain about it. (laughs) So I mean for those that didn't catch this what happened last week was this assistant producer at the National Broadcast Corporation in Canada, which is like our federally funded like cross between cnn and npr um gets in touch and says he started playing magic a few months ago he's all super excited about mtg finance i have no idea how he he tripped over my name but probably some random web search um that brought up mtg price articles and would i be interested in coming on because he realized i live in toronto so he had all these ideas about how mtg finance should be a a weekly segment (laughs) on their national uh, business uh, news show. And I thought that was hilarious because y- you would it would be a stretch to convince these producers that there was uh, a reason to have even a monthly segment on uh, odd alternative investments. You know, like if you were going to do a segment on investing in wine and cigars and sneakers and old toys and vintage video games and magic and whatever, maybe you can pull that together as a tiny thing they do every once in a while. But the concept of doing magic finance every week on a national news program is just hilarious because it's just going to go over the heads of like 98% of your audience.
1: I So I really, if you manage to pull that off, I will be so pissed if you don't get me involved.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I nixed it, right? Like I, I just thought it was ridiculous and nobody was ever going to approve it. So what I said was instead, here are some talking points that would set up a reasonably interesting six or seven minute segment. Um, and for anybody that's pretty deep into this scene um you know it's a niche within a niche right so it's pretty hard to get across what we're up to um on you know in a segment of that length and for most people it would be like watching paint like peel off a wall to get into the really nitty-gritty like some people would like that are interested in In investments in general, like conceptually, like intellectually, like the business process analysis side of this, and like how to make this all work, and like how to pull the pieces together, would be interesting in hearing you and I go on for two hours about European arbitrage. But for the rest of the people watching the program, it's like okay, move it right along. I'd almost rather watch commercials. So you know, we got we got through most of the segment. I thought we got a you know got the kind of the best foot forward, and I, I would argue that might be the most promo that Magic: The Gathering has gotten on Canadian television in years. Um, so Wizards can feel free to send me a thank you for that free PR um, to my email anytime they want to acknowledge that our niche even exists. You know,
1: uh, given how many people probably have the CBC network at home, it's probably the
0: most exposure it's gotten on American television, too. <laughs> so, I mean, the funny part was the funniest part of the whole interview, though, that must have jumped out at you was when she asked me about insider trading. Right. And and this is this is not the first time that somebody has mentioned this kind of thing. Like I, I've seen Twitter dialogue targeted at MTG Finance talking about that kind of nonsense. And I'm I'm always like, what what is the analog to insider trading in a collective open collectibles marketplace? Like insider trading is insider trading because the people running the company that sold the shares into the public market. Have knowledge that other people don't have about the company about to be worth more or less, and trade on that basis in advance of the market gaining that information. Mm-hmm. So, the only way you can ever imagine that would be that Wizards employees are trading on cards on the basis that they intentionally make cards that are going to make their specs better. Yep.
1: Yeah. Which I is, mean that's
0: I mean, ins- or insider
1: tra- insider trading could be oh, I know this card is going to get banned, so I'm going to buy up a bunch of cards that will increase in price because of that, or we're going to unban this one.
0: Yeah. And so, I mean, I I would imagine that some of that has happened in very small quantity with Wizards employees and contractors over the years, but it's such a drop in the bucket that it almost has, it it has almost no impact. It's kind of like if you want to talk about how judges get paid in booster boxes. And that those booster boxes entering the market drags the retail price of booster boxes down in small pockets of, of, you know, instances here and there on social media and so forth as they provide, they create some kind of underlayer of competition against LGS sales. It just doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Um, and, and it's also interesting to me that people often refer to this market as unregulated, as though any collectibles market is regulated. I mean, the closest thing I can think of is, like, the wine market has, like, commerce rules that are set by region. So, like, certain grapes can only be declared to be of an appropriate vintage if they were grown in specific regions of France or whatever. And ditto with some cheeses and stuff. But, like, it, it, it's not even, like, regulation is not what the magic market needs. I mean, <laughs> we, we don't have a, a broken system here. And these aren't legally investment vehicles that investment advisors can provide uh advice on or run mutual funds against or whatever so it's kind of a like a a non-starter right it just doesn't matter
1: yeah i kind of was thought that was kind of funny that she she brought that up and you're right like all of these collectibles uh, these secondary markets on these types of things have no regulation. I mean, it's, it is basically, it's sort of like, well, I can't say it's capitalism in its purest form because the supply is restricted too. like you, we can't make more magic cards. I don't know. I don't know what it's supposed to be. It's a mess though. But that's for sure. I do remember hearing, or let me rephrase it. <laughs> it could be a mess. I do remember hearing stories back when I think it was Zendikar was coming out that on a, a wizard's employee was scooping up dark depths at some GP ahead of zendikar um knowing that a vampire hex would be in the set and would turn into a turn to Lage. i do recall hearing that i'm pretty sure that's what it was uh i don't know if anything ever came of that but i thought it was kind of uh interesting
0: yeah and i'm sure i'm sure that that kind of thing has happened piecemeal here and there all over the place i'm sure they are uh they all sign agreements that says they're not supposed to do that kind of stuff. Like, they're not supposed to leverage that information for private profit. Um, but ultimately, I just don't give a shit. Like, it's, there's no way that it impacts the market enough. Like, I don't think that guy went out and bought 7,000 copies of Dark Depths um i think he went out and bought 20 and who cares like that any any one of us little fish could buy 20 copies of something on any given moment for whatever silly reason we come up with at the time oh it's it's um, it's
1: definitely more about the appearance of it right like it's not mm-hmm. like that he's ruining the the mark it's just like come on this is nonsense that he's doing this
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. And you and you wouldn't want like you don't want marrow walking around the floor picking out suspicious specs with this like trail of followers behind him trying to see what he's buying. Oh, my God. Um, I so want Rosewater to go to a GP and just
1: go up to each vendor booth and buy out like some bulk rare and the same one from
0: every <laughs> vendor. People would be flipping out. We would be tripping over each other trying to write that article. That would be hilarious.
1: Uh, and then, just like on Sunday evening, he just like walks into the like sits down in the middle of the GP and just like sets them all on fire or something. Just like gotcha. <laughs> like, it would be really <laughs> funny if it weren't for the fact that you know people would lose a lot of money in the process.
0: Yeah. All right. So uh, I'll probably throw that video up on MTG Price so people can see it if they missed it. Um... And uh, let's move on with some of the user questions. So somebody said, uh, how do I out my bulk? Hashtag trolling. Hashtag or is he? (laughs) Um, Assuming that the question is real, like you've got a whole ton of like crazy bulk sitting around in your basement or garage or whatever. Um, and you want to get rid of it. The same standards usually apply. I mean, throw it up on Craigslist. Um, the, the problem with bulk is it's too heavy to ship anywhere. So you don't want to generally sell it on eBay or whatever. You want to unload it to somebody locally and they're and hopefully they know what they're talking about. And they're going to offer you somewhere between 5 and $15 per thousand or something, depending on how much they know and how good your bulk is. Um, if it's just a bunch of random cards from like 10 years ago you haven't looked at in a while, then your bulk is probably worth a lot of money. So you should probably pick it before you sell it. Um, and if it's stuff you've picked 17 times, like most of the stuff that's sitting in my house, I think I'm just about ready to throw that out because I just, it's unconscionable and totally non-productive for me to even try to get the $3 per thousand it's worth. I should just donate it to some kid's charity somewhere and drop it all off.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's probably your, I, I felt the same way about some of this stuff as like, I could pick all of these tens of thousands of cards and extract some dollars, but even if the hourly rate is there, I'm not sure I want to do it, uh, and I just rather donate it and let kids have something cool. Um, I mean, the answer to how do I out my bulk is you listen to Brainstorm Brewery because they deal with that crap all the time. <laughs> um, but it, yeah, it depends on whether you're talking bulk rares or bulk commons and uncommons, and whether it's been picked. But uh, in general, I, I mean, if you don't if you don't have all of those buy prices, like r- if you're not really knowledgeable about them, so if you have like bulk commons and uncommons from like the last four years types of things and you've got several thousand of that if you don't like know the buy prices easily off the top of your head it's just sell to somebody else man like save yourself the time and effort and like because other than that you're gonna have to like pick up a common oh is this common because the cards that are good in there like obviously fatal pushes are worth money right but those aren't the cards that you're trying to get out of bulk They're cards that are worth like 20 cents you know what commons are worth 20 cents cards that people buy for their 60 card casual decks that vendors sell tons of all the time do you know which commons are good in, in 60 card casual decks no like you just don't have the information unless you do this all the time so like you're not going to realize that like these random commons and uncommons are actually valuable because you just don't, you're not in touch with the market so you're just gonna be
0: every single card you're gonna be typing into a website to get the price on hey forget it I mean, we ha- we have bulk tools on MGG Price that have been slightly sketchy this year since we've been having you know rev- going through various revisions with the pricing algorithm. Um, once we've got that pinned down, I'll start making a lot more noise about using that tool to figure out your bulk orders because um, or your buy list orders. So you can um, you know if you have got a bunch of old cards in the ground, you just haven't been playing that much, and somehow randomly you're still listening to this cast, then you should pick your stuff first. Um, if you're, if you have a bunch of stuff, you know, is pretty much close to worthless, then just get rid of it. I mean, if you're near a major event and it's, you think it's like a five to $10 per thousand and you don't mind lugging it down there to turn it into a hundred dollar card or something, you know, do your thing, but otherwise just get rid of it, free up the space and, and turn it into productive space for some other purpose.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's just, it's just not
0: worth the effort. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So somebody asked about judge promo scarcity by year. We don't have information on that. Um, I'm sure that high-level judges know how many judges existed in the various years and how many packages were sent out. Um, You might be able to glean that by seeing people's anecdotal reports on the process, like judges talking about being judges and how many packages went out. Um, But it's research I don't have at my fingertips. Uh, Maybe we'll try to put an article together on it in the future. Um, somebody else else asked about recognizing fake cards. Uh, totally depends uh, whether we're talking about you know alpha beta uh, like first few years fakes or you know more recent stuff. Um, I haven't seen any good fakes with the hologram. Um, so the the super modern era is not easy to fake and has not, to my knowledge, been uh, done well yet. Um, your best bet for that stuff is to just do a Google search and look it up on YouTube and find somebody looking through a loop that's recorded it uh, accurately and can show you the dot patterns um, through some photos they've taken so that if you you know order a thousand dollar card, like say an unlimited time twister or something, and you want to make sure you got the real thing that you know what to look for. Um, buying a jeweler's loop has been the kind of go-to standard for ages. You also uh, want to master the light test uh, and the bend test, um, although they are not a hundred percent reliable unless you've been doing them for a while. Right. The,
1: the loop is really important for trying to figure this out. Um, to look at the printing, look at the, uh, a couple other characteristics. There's a light test you can do, which is you hold it up to the
0: light, and God, I got—I don't remember exactly what you're checking. Uh, well, you're checking because there's, there's supposed to be a blue. There's a blue sheet of paper in the middle of magic cards, right? Um, and you're, you're make, you want to see the the light come through as kind of like a distributed blue circle. Um, and if it doesn't shine blue, then it means that paper is absent. Now, some of the mo- more recent fakes from Japan, include—I mean, from not Japan, China. Um, include blue paper so it's not necessarily uh foolproof anymore and those are new fakes for cards from like five to ten years ago that were pre-hologram is my understanding
1: yeah that we actually just saw a um an ebay listing recently for somebody selling the paper used in magic oh yeah yeah that's true and so it's that's um clearly uh that's a clearly one. The, the, the availability is out there because whatever you're seeing on eBay is only, the, again, like kind of the tip of what the people who are really into this are getting their hands on. I mean, ultimately, I think your best bet for trying to identify a fake is take it to your a vendor. Now, you're, I don't even want to say your local store because they I mean you can try there, but it depends on how lo- kind of how local your store is. Um, but, yeah, vendors at a GPR are a really good tool to kind of first of all, to be to verify and then also to kind of teach you the way so if you need to do this more regularly they can kind of give you away cuz a lot of this stuff is like we can talk about and tell you to like look for the blue tint check the printing uh and that type of thing but like it helps to have somebody who can go okay see exactly this thing here and compare it to this one over here this is what you're looking for
0: the other thing is if you ever get your hands on a fake or see somebody with a fake um, take it out of circulation And hold on to it so that you can compare it to relevant cards in the future. Yeah. It's only really super useful if you think you're going to be handling large volumes. Like if you see a fake scalding turn at some point, um, somebody ships it to you or whatever, and you're not planning on buying a bunch of scalding turns, you might actually want to donate it to your LGS because they can use it to try to identify fakes in the area. Um, Because if they've been, these things tend to circulate in local pockets when somebody gets the hot idea of ordering a bunch of stuff from China and trying to pass it off um, and tends to hit like stores and waves over time based on the activities of specific individuals. Um, it's not like it's a widespread persistent problem everywhere at all times. So, uh, you know, think about, you know, what you need to have on hand to protect yourself. I'll tell you this much. I almost never test for fakes. Like I, 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 if I order a card over $500, I usually check it, but anything below that, um, most of the stuff that you know, like, EDH foils or masterpieces or whatever, I, I, I'm I'm not aware of any fakes that have been produced, and it's one of the thing one of the things that makes investing more in foils lately than than non foils, um, and mostly in cards that have hologram. Um, you know, those fakes aren't on the market as far as I'm I know, and so I don't really have to worry about that.
1: Yeah, it's not something I don't think I've ever encountered either. If I have, they got it pass me. Um, I think it's mostly you know vendors are the type who are going to go through enough of a volume uh, to where that really matters but you know if you're just an if average it, guy at home like, and you have any
0: doubts just take it to somebody who knows their stuff I'll say this much too if it's a card from the first few years of Magic and the price is too good to be true and the card looks just perfect as far as you know it's probably actually too glossy or too thick or a little too perfect, or if it's got wear, the wear has been manufactured. All of those kind of like massive red flags, that's just a steer clear. Like, you see people like with a fuzzy photo of a black lotus on eBay that just says, found it in my basement, don't know what it is, but they've got the price at like $999. Dude, that's red flag central, just walk away.
1: Uh, yeah, I completely agree with that. I've seen that a couple times people pulling that stuff on Craigslist. I mean, maybe that's why I've never really dealt with uh, with one because I, <laughs> I stayed away from the, the people who are doing it. Um, okay. Long-term outlook on black on black STCC Planeswalker Walker I was kind of curious to hear what you were going to say about this. Cause I have my idea. Um, why don't you go first and then I will share with you what I was thinking.
0: Uh, my take on this is there's no blanket response. Um, This is a card by card thing. I don't think the sets are as interesting as some of the individual cards. Um, I don't think it's about them being black on black. Um, A lot of people find have reported that they're super annoying to play with. So I think they're more collector's items than they are playable cards for the most part. However, I do include a few of them in my like attracts a super friends deck in EDH, because um, I want the deck to be blinged out more than I care about whether people can read the card. And I'm, cheerfully happy to explain any any card that people don't immediately recognize and most of the cards that would be included are recognizable so i mean my jv my jace friends prodigy set is all black on black um if i ever have a reason to play it um what do you think so my thought was it depends on which year we're
1: talking about. Twenty thirteen is going to be the best because there's the least of them, uh, and they get less com- they get more common as you go forward in years. Um, so the individual they get worse and worse. Uh, I would say that the general, I think we've seen generally that there's sort of a, a soft cap of about two to three hundred dollars on any given card that can be reprinted in some form. So, like, I don't think we're going to see Jace Vryn's Prodigy's Black on Black again, ever. Nope. In the same way that we will never see a Kaladesh invention Soul Ring, probably, ever. However, you can still buy other copies of those cards. They can print more copies of those cards. They can give them different art and different effects and make them foil again. So, basically, you end up with... The option to buy the same card that might look cool just in a different way, um, and they can do that a lot if they need to. So you look at something like Juzam Dijin, uh they can't reprint that card. That's why that card can be like five or six hundred, seven hundred dollars because you just you can't have any more of them. But Jason's Prodigy, even though you can never have more of the SCCC promos. You can still buy other ones. And at a certain point, people are like, well, I really like the black on black, but I'm not paying $500 for one of these when I can pay $25 for the set, the non-foil pack copies. So I would say you're looking at a two to $300 soft limit on any of these cards and any, basically any other
0: non-reserve list card. That card in particular is almost certainly going to be in the FTV flip later this fall. But I don't think it's going to matter unless the art is amazing and the foiling is fixed. Um, if both of those things are true, then it has that drag effect. Um, but it's interesting that the ramp up between like the lowest priced copy and there's only like 20 listings or less on TCG for that card in black on black goes from like 120 to 235 in a hurry. And there's pretty much like a couple of price points at every five dollars all the way up. What that says is no one really knows what this card is worth. Um, and some people are happy to wait for their price to kick in, uh, on the expectation that it will be worth money someday. And I think that the novelty power level and, you know, casual cube collector demand will hollow, you know, the better of these media promos from San Diego comic-con out given, you know, a three to five year horizon. And that makes them like slow growth, long-term holds that are relatively reliable.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that's fine. Um, you know, depending on what the price is, I think the black Jace VPs could be two hundred fifty dollars. But my point is, like, I, d- I don't think you can realistically have them more than three hundred because eventually it's gonna be yeah. it's gonna be oh, three hundred dollars. Yeah. So be like, I'm not paying three hundred and fifty dollars for this stupid card. I will go get the pack foil. Like, I don't need this one that badly. Again, well, yeah. like foil guys Cradle, a whole other story because it's reserve list. Uh, Jazam Jazin whole other story. But yeah, the card yep. basically if the card can be reprinted in any fashion you're looking at a, a soft ceiling of two to
0: $300. Yeah. All right. So I think like we've uh, we've polished off most of the grab bag this week. Why don't we uh, call that a wrap? Where can people find you online, Travis? Uh, I
1: am on Twitter at wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. Uh, I write every Monday for MTG price with the Watchtower series. Uh, I do the Cartel Aristocrats webcast. And if
0: you like playing magic, check out scry.land. Find magic in your area. You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG critic, as well as via my weekly articles on mtgprice.com. I'm just coming up. I'm in the, like, the last 10 followers on Twitter to hit 3,000. Whoever is the magic 3,000 and don't do these unsubscribe, then subscribe thing. But go ahead and if it's your first time um, following... Uh, Whoever hits 3,000, I got a little grab bag, thank you bag um, for all the followers and listeners um, that I will send out that has some goodies in it. (laughs) Joke's on you. I crossed 3,000 a couple weeks ago when I ended up getting followed by
1: 1,800 or 1,200 Russian fake bots. (laughs) I
0: still got over (laughs) 3,000. Super nice. (laughs) Russian fake bots. Okay. Okay. Uh, also like to remind our listeners to check out the mggprice.com pro trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MGG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering.
1: Okay. Well, that brings us to the end of episode 87. Uh, again, sorry if the audio quality sucks. I really enjoyed our conversation, James, and I will
0: see you next week. Thank you, Travis. We'll see you guys next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.